Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral. Simpler communications. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. are back and live on a Thursday because this week is the first week that we are now two a week, just like two a days, two a week for us until the start of the season. We'll be wrapping it up to five a week. Can't wait for that. But right now, two a week, we're going on Thursdays from 11 to 1230 and we'll be back tomorrow like we normally would be on a Friday from 11 to 12.30, again, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. We're also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, folks. And as always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Joined here with Chris Dauhauer. Chris, how great was it that we had training camp? Even though all the news isn't awesome, we still have some news nonetheless start dissecting for our drafts. Yeah, I mean, we actually have to talk about an actual thing on the field where it's not just conjecture, people guessing, insider information. We're actually going to get news and notes from people actually on the field. We're also going to get roster updates. We already had a couple cuts. That's going to continue to kind of progress as the season comes nears. Cuts, injuries, COVID-19 protocols. We are going to touch on some of the news today. 
Uh, we have a lot to get to like we normally do. Today is the continuation of the team profiles. Today and tomorrow, we'll actually wrap up that series. And we're going to start talking about more draft strategy and rankings and whatnot throughout the month of August. We are talking about the Bills, the Packers, the Titans, and the Rams today. We're going to have to quickly recap about the Saints, though, because last week we did a broadcast and about, I want to say, a half hour after our broadcast came out, all of a sudden the Michael Thomas news came out, which totally changes, at least for me anyway, my synopsis on the Saints in general for fantasy football purposes. We're going to talk about that, but first, we actually have some breaking news to kick off the show that happened just moments ago before we went live. Breaking news. So there's an explosive report out there right now about Julio Jones and Roddy White and a black market cannabis sales are being blamed for a lawsuit against them. What this means for as far as, you know, football purposes for Julio Jones or anything like that, we're really not going to know. Probably won't know anytime soon, but that's coming out. I heard about the story actually a couple days ago. They were still trying to figure out the credibility of the story, but now more uh, news sources are reporting on this. So now this is definitely going to start getting some traction from here on out. So Julio Jones and legality issues are something we're going to have to watch now, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this case unfolds. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, fantasy fans of, of Julio can kind of take solace in is, is more than likely this will get resolved after the season. So I would imagine he'll probably get, be able to play most of the season because I don't think this is going to hit court right away if he has a good lawyer. Oh, no, I mean, the Deshaun Watson thing has been in limbo for how long, and that's not going to get settled till next February, which is why he might have a chance uh, to actually play. And Deshaun Watson, part of my news and notes uh, to go through the, real quickly at the start of the show, too. So that's what's going on with him. The He had some more news come out for him as well. He had 10, I believe it's 10 complaints to the Houston Police Department. Two of the women that complained are not part of the civil lawsuit. So that in itself was kind of interesting to kind of add to the already growing Deshaun Watson drama. But again, nothing expected to happen until February. So it's going to be interesting to see what the NFL decides to do because to this point, they have kind of been waiting for the legal issues, the Justice Department to kind of take the lead on this before really acting. They have their own investigation going on, of course. But I feel like at this point... If they weren't going to put him on the exempt list, I don't know that they're going to before that lawsuit comes down. Yeah, from what I understand, they're kind of in a difficult situation right now where they haven't even got anything from the police departments or able to do much of their own kind of investigation because the information is basically because of legal information, legal things they're dealing with, they don't, they can't be um, exposed to this information yet and, and basically lose the credibility of the different cases or different things they can present in this case. So the NFL is kind of sitting on the sideline waiting for things to kind of be forwarded to them to be able to make a decision what they should do. And if they have to make it, they have, you know, they basically came out and said he can come to training camp, which Sean showed up earlier this week. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what unfolds and how this kind of plays out. Yeah, I was say on the football side of things, he came into training camp because he doesn't want to get fined. That's the one thing about this new CBA deal is that these guys really get fined a lot of money for not showing up to training camp. That's why I don't see as many holdouts, quote-unquote, uh, as much anymore. But yeah, Deshaun Watson, he comes back, stays firm that he doesn't want to play for Houston this year. He still wants to get traded. That's I don't see how that's going to happen. We have a poll that we're going to talk about later on the show of what the people thought, and I'm a little bit surprised by the reaction, quite frankly. Uh, but Deshaun Watson... There was actually a report saying that he was playing on the practice squad 
<laughs> that's that's where they're at right now. So Houston's still kind of treating him like he's not going to be there or punishing him or whatever the case may be. I have to imagine if a deal doesn't get done, he'll be the starting, and he's not on the exempt list, he'll be a starting quarterback for Houston week one. I have to imagine it's going to be the case. I can't see how you leave him on the bench. Yeah, um, but I mean, also the kind of interesting news that came out is that Houston is now very willing to trade Deshaun Watson. They came well, out publicly and stated that. They so are, but they aren't. Because if you're really willing to trade Deshaun Watson, given all the circumstances, you're not asking for three first-round picks, five picks total, and two starting caliber players, which is what reportedly what it is that they're asking for. That So to me, that's not really being that willing to trade if that's really your asking price, given all the circumstances. Well, I think that's their hoping price for him, but I think they're kind of throwing things out there to see what they actually can get and try to see what they can, you know, negotiate in a sense. So they're going to ask for the world and see what they want up settling for. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see exactly what happens in that case. It's it's going to be a tricky for any team to really pull off a trade for him. One, who's going to want to trade for him before all of this is really settled and taken care of? We're still talking about a guy. There's complaints now in the Houston Police Department. We're still talking about a guy. There could be charges filed at any given moment, meaning he could be looking at potential jail time or whatever the case may be. I don't see a GM taking that kind of a risk, especially the price that you're going to have to pay to get him. I don't see him getting traded. Well, again, we'll talk about that in a little bit later. I want to move on here. Saquon Barkley, his update, Giants being very cautious about him. Now they're calling week one a week one return questionable because they want to play the long game with him. Ultimately, this Saquon will play this season at some point, whether it's week one or week two, whatever the case may be. But it does put a lot of doubt in my head as far as what will his workload be early on in the season, what kind of shape is he truly in from a health perspective? Because if all the reports are true up until this point, that he is rehab was was going quite well and he hadn't had any setbacks, then why are we still talking about him possibly missing week one? That's what is more interesting to me. What this does more so than anything, and I already kind of reflected this in my rankings, which you can actually, they're up and live now. You can go ahead and check out on fantasysports.com and hit the rankings there on the on the tab. I have him down there. I believe in half point PR is RB6. I may be moving him even lower than that if this continues. This trend continues right now with him with training camp. Basically, it's this. You can't take the risk of drafting him in your top five. That essentially what it boils down to for me. Yeah, I mean, you're risking him basically a guy could maybe miss the first couple of games or even take a while, like you kind of pointed out, to actually get in the groove and get the touches you're looking for. So you may be waiting a month for this guy to actually be, you know, pay off in a sense. And you can't really waste around the top five pick on a guy that you're waiting a month to be basically materialized. And you're not even sure how healthy he's going to be moving forward. Yeah, it's it's the health. It's he has now he's at the point where he has to prove he can even stay healthy once he gets back on the field because he's had two years now where he hasn't been able to do that. It's still a bad offensive line. I still hate Jason Garrett. I'm still not crazy about the offense in general. There's a lot of red flags for a guy who I think his ADP just moved outside the top five, but a guy who's squarely in the first round. It's a lot of risk. And what we say all the time is that you can't win your leagues in the draft, but if you take a bad first-round pick, it can go a really long way in helping you lose. And that's just a lot of red flags for a player that you would have to take in the first round, for me especially. Uh, last piece of news I want to get to before we jump into the Saints, because, again, we have to get into these team profiles soon. Lamar going on the COVID list. He means he misses the next... 10 days obviously we're not worried about him from a week one appearance perspective but this is a team that's been very aggressive in trying to open up the passing attack and getting some chemistry between Lamar and the new newly required uh, wide receivers that they've been able to get 
the how is this going to affect him? He's going to miss essentially not half a training camp, but almost half a training camp now due to COVID. I think the, the playbook will be interesting because you have a lot of head players like you talked about the receivers kind of adjusting and we're still kind of curious to see how Greg Roman's going to be utilizing these different weapons that he has. Um, the one good thing I think that, is, that did play out though is Lamar did work with these these different receivers off season and continue to do so between the last OTA camp and his training camp. So he does going to have some timing. He has some familiarity. So it won't be like he's throwing to brand new people because he does have, have some, you know, experience kind of getting the timing down with some things. But it will be interesting to see kind of how the playbook unfolds as a result of it. I do think this runs the risk of early on in the season. I don't necessarily want to say run the risk because I'm not really like I, I like I said before, a Baltimore wide receiver is not something I'm really targeting this year anyway, but runs the risk of they're not going to be super open to start the season. You might see actually more of what we've seen thus far at the beginning of the year. I think it could lead to that. Maybe we get down the road a little bit and they start to open up more of the weapons, try to get a little bit more aggressive. I think it might just put a delay on that to some degree. But as far as Lamar Jackson goes and his fantasy value, he's still my QB too. This doesn't change anything for me as far as that goes. All right, Chris, now we got to quickly recap the Saints because it completely changed our analysis essentially with Michael Thomas definitely going to be on the pup list. I, I think there's no doubt about that. So he's going to miss the first six games. I've already reflected it in my rankings that he's going to miss the first six games. I believe I have him all the way down as a low end wide receiver, three high end wide receiver four territory now as a result to that. So just from your perspective, what does this do for Michael Thomas's value and the rest of the saints value outlook for 2021? Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about Michael Thomas and how I kind of thought he was being undervalued in a lot of different ways and that he should be still considered a top three, a top five receiver. Um, this definitely changes things where I was okay with taking him in the second or third round and using ADPs in the fourth round, so I thought that was outstanding value. Um, but now you basically have a guy missing up to seven weeks or six or seven weeks. You're not really sure how he's going to kind of return. We saw last year where it took a lot of rush when he came back from his injury and it kind of seemed to hinder him the first couple of games. So you wonder what will you get out of him? We'll get basically a half a season out of Michael Thomas. So that makes a guy that you're, you know, with more than one receiver one is somebody that you're going to have to probably look for now, pushing down the, you know, your draft rankings in a lot of places, maybe sixth, seventh round, looking at a guy like this. But I still think he's somebody to take a flyer on because I think this is the kind of guy that can win you a championship as well. Because once he does kind of get in his groove, um, you know, you kind of expect that he's going to be the man again there. The other situation I think that's going to really be interesting is what does this do to the quarterback competition? I think both of us were on the same page as James Winston was absolutely going to be the quarterback with this news and lack of weapons that they have. I and mean, they had Chris Hogan. So what? And I think that you kind of look at right now, will James actually be the quarterback because they might be built to be more of a wing T type of offense with a taste and at quarterback. Um, and that might be where they kind of start the season with. So I'm really interested to see how this kind of trickles down to everything on the offense. I'm hitting the cheer button for you there because you hit the nail on the head when I was thinking about the quarterback situation. Because now, while I still believe Jameis Winston is the better quarterback and still the better quarterback for that team in general, even without Michael Thomas, I can certainly see a pathway in which Sean Payton says to himself, I'm just going to double down on the running game, play defense, and go all in with Taysom Hill and Alma Kamara and just let that lead my offense. I could very easily wind up seeing that being the path now. So now I'm about 50-50 when it comes to, is it going to be Taysom Hill? Is it going to be Jameis Winston as we go through training camp now? I was big on Jameis Winston. I had him at QB 12. 
I thought he was going to have, I thought he was in a great situation. I move him all the way down to QB 32 and Taysom Hill's right there at QB 34. And I'm keeping them there until one of them actually emerges as the starter. I'm going back to what I was criticizing a lot of people for last week, which was not planting their flag one way or another. And that's why they were so low. Obviously their value will not be down there. Once one gets claimed as the starter for week one, that will, that whoever that person winds up being will move up from there. But now I have to fall back into that track because of the Michael Thomas news. And you have to be able to change and adjust like that when these things happen and really affect uh, your mindset and make sure you don't get caught holding the bag. But yeah, I could easily see a case where Sean Payton decides, you know what? We're just going to run. We're at this, That's just what we're going to be. That's going to be our identity. We're going to put in Taysom Hill. We're going to have Alvin Kamara. We're going to have Latavius Murray. Uh, the one guy I want to talk about a little bit would be Adam Troutman. I actually moved him down a little bit in my rankings. And the reason is this. Everybody else seemed to get like, oh, super excited about Adam Troutman, you know, more so with Michael Thomas out. And I was like, well, wait a minute. First of all, I was very big on Michael on Adam Troutman. He's still one of my sleeper tight ends. However, when it comes to his case, if that offense is not as good and it won't be as good without Michael Thomas, then there's less scoring opportunities. The tight ends need the touchdowns. So maybe he is looking at a few extra targets on a per game basis without Michael Thomas. But in general, I don't know if he's looking at as many touchdowns. So I actually moved him down a little bit. He's still in my top 12, but he was in my top 10 at one point. So that's just where I'm at on Adam Trout. I'm still on my top sleeper tight ends, but I'm actually not more excited because Michael Thomas is out. Um, I'm kind of in between where I understand your point of view that you're not having a true number one weapons can actually give him more. You'll get more attention. But I also think if they do kind of become a more run oriented team, it can benefit him particularly in the red zone where he might be even more targeted and more used. Um, I see him kind of actually being, have more opportunity to actually lock in the slot probably as well. It's going to be really interesting to see who that second starting receiver is. We know Trey Ponce will probably be the starter, but who will be the second receiver? If it's another speedy type of guy, I think that benefits Troutman because then you're kind of opening up things so you can kind of have him be the underneath rock guy. But if they have another kind of possession type receiver, like such as a Chris Hogan, then I think it's going to hurt him because then you're going to have a guy basically being in the same area and kind of stealing some of his, you know, touches. So it will be really interesting. And I think the quarterback who kind of materializes will also be interesting to see how his true value is. I mean, we don't know if Taysom Hill is going to be featuring a tight end as much as we know James Whitson historically has. So that I think you have a lot of factors to kind of still have the play to kind of what you rate Troutman. So I think he's a great, you know, sleeper like you're talking about. And regardless, he'll be productive. But I don't know how high his ceiling or how low his floor is based on all the things that we still have to kind of figure out. And keep in mind, his ADP is still in the 20s. So you're still talking about a guy as of right now that you may not even need to draft that's still in my top 12. So I'm not trying, I'm not trying to cool the Jets on Adam Troutman and his sleeper ability. He is definitely one of those tight ends that I am targeting late with a lot of excitement for. I just don't have quite as much excitement as I did before as far as what his ceiling could potentially be. And I think a lot that second receiver is a good point too. I think a lot of that's gonna have to do with who the starting quarterback winds up being. I think he's going to be. I think it could be a speedy guy if it's Jameis Winston. You take more shots down the field. I think if it's Taysom Hill, I think it could be Chris Hogan. They might say, you know what, we're going to put our best blocking wide receivers out there. It's one of the reasons Traquan Smith has still been on the team, frankly, is because he's a decent blocking wide receiver. People don't really realize that about him, but he is. He's been their best blocking wide receiver. That's why he continues to be out there on the field, really, even though he's had lack of production when the targets have become available to him. I can see it being Chris Hogan. Uh, quick little note. Deontay Harris, one of their speedy wide receivers, he just got he got arrested apparently back in mid-July. He could be looking at a two-game suspension because he got arrested for a DUI. That news coming out just recently. So we'll see exactly what happens. They didn't they didn't need any more help in uh lessening that wide receiver course. That's for sure. So we'll see exactly what happens there. 
Ultimately, this, though, when it comes to a wide receiver for the Saints, I don't care about any of these guys. If Marquez Callaway happens to be the second starting wide receiver, we might talk about him from a DFS standpoint from a week-to-week basis, but that's about it. Traquan Smith has had ample opportunity in the past to have the targets, the target share go to him first and see what he can do with it, and he's disappointed every single time. He's just a guy. I'm staying away from all Saints wide receivers, regardless of who the quarterback is. And just to re-illustrate re- the Michael Thomas point, I have him at wide receiver 36 right now. I might be moving him down even further from that as we get closer. We'll see. The reason I have him still at wide receiver 36 is kind of to your point. If you have a league where you have an IR spot, and I feel like most of the leagues at this point have IR spots, then he's a great stash to draft in that eighth, ninth round territory area, which in the drafts that I've been in so far, that's been about the range where he's been going is that eighth, ninth round territory He's a great stash in that point because even if you believe the reports that he may never be the same Michael Thomas, he may not, he might be 100% healed, but not be the same effective player. Even if that's true, there's no doubt in anybody's mind. He's the number one target. The second he comes back to the New Orleans Saints. So for that reason alone, he's going to give you probably wide receiver two value upon his return when he is back there on the field. And that could be very, very valuable to you on a playoff stretch. So that's why, for me, Michael Thomas right now is my wide receiver 36. Again, may move him down a little bit further from that, but still a very much valuable stash play in those leagues that have IR spots. Any last words on the Saints? Yeah, I'm just going to say that I agree with the receiver points where when you look at the receivers, you don't want to necessarily target a lot of people out here about, you know, big on Traquan Smith. Don't forget, he's he's going to be facing the top corner now. He couldn't beat second or third corners. Now he's going to be facing the top corner more games than not. So that's where you kind of you got to kind of underestimate. I'm so sure don't overestimate. He's going to be productive wise because he's going to get more opportunity out there because he still have to beat better players. All right. This is the great thing about training camps. We actually have news segments that actually break into. Now, most of that was bad news. Hopefully we'll have better news to talk about in the weeks coming up, but it's still exciting. Nonetheless, before we finally start getting into the Buffalo Bills and talking about their team profile stretch, we got to give a shout out to our sponsor of the day, which is Symbol. Wall Street meets sports gambling in this innovative app. But Symbol brings the fun of being able to play for the long term by purchasing, selling, and trading stocks of your teams. When your teams win, you win a payout. When they lose, you don't lose value. The share is all that matters, and it's easy to use. Just download the Symbol app on your Play Store and use the promo code MDSFANTASY for a $10 deposit of at least $10 or more. Join the fun of investing in your team for the long haul, where the Sportsbook Edge is put back into your hands as the player. For the latest and most fun in sports gambling, download the Symbol app, and again, use the promo code MDSFANTASY for your $10 deposit today. So now... We can go ahead and get into the Buffalo Bills, which, you know what? Of all the teams, they're pretty straightforward. We know Josh Allen's a top quarterback. He finishes number one last year. I have him ranked in my top four this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he managed to go number one again next year. Chris, the one thing you and I talked about when it comes to Josh Allen off air is we question, can he repeat the insane efficiency completion percentage that he had? I've never seen a quarterback take a jump up the way Josh Allen has. You're talking about a guy his rookie year, 53% completion percentage. Second year, nice little jump to 58, actually. That's actually a market improvement, but still terrible overall for an NFL quarterback at 58% completion percentage. Then he leaps, gets to Fon Diggs, leaps 
from 58 to 69% completion percentage. So the question is this, can he repeat that? Is that who he really is? Or are we going to see some strong regression when it comes to his completion percentage this year and his overall efficiency as a sense? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it falls a little bit, maybe closer to 65%. I still think he has some accuracy issues. We saw that kind of unfold in the playoffs. But one of the big things that he hasn't lost is Stefan Diggs. And with Diggs out there, you're having a guy who's basically the PFF's top contested catcher. I mean, he averaged basically 87.5% of his catches on the ball thrown within the vicinity of him. So this guy goes up and gets the ball. He gets separation. He allows Josh Allen not to be the most accurate guy, but still, if he gets in the vicinity of Stefan Diggs, he makes the big catches. We've also seen a tremendous upgrade of receivers for this team over the last few years, too. And you kind of see the percentage go increase with that as well. You know, Gabe Davis was, was, came on strong last year. You, know, you added Emmanuel Sanders this year. So it's not really a, a far-fetched idea that this guy's probably going to be between 65 to possibly 70%. A lot of guys take leaps up recently over the last couple of years. The NFL has become more of a you know more separation-oriented team or uh, offenses, I should say, where you guys are kind of because of the rule changes and corners maybe not have the you know the contact they could have down the field. You see guys being able to kind of get open in that seven to eight yard range, so you can kind of have almost layup throws. He might miss occasional easy throw here or there, but he should be able, because of the volume and because of the passing opportunities they have, he's probably going to probably still be a pretty consistent guy. Yeah, absolutely. As long as Brian DeBall is the offensive coordinator, even if Josh Allen's efficiency goes down and comes back to a reality pace for him, the volume will still prop him up on a week-to-week basis. So that's where that's why I still have Josh Allen ranked as my QB4. And I have to take a little bit of dip because I do expect him to be a little less efficient than he was a season ago. Just because 69%, I mean, that's great for any NFL quarterback. I can't believe he would actually be able to repeat that again. It's not the quarterback he's been to this point. But even if he doesn't, the volume will keep him up there because this offense is going to be pass first, built around Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. My, my thing about Allen and why I don't believe he can actually keep that up, that 69% completion percentage, because last year you go back, you watch the tape, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. He didn't anticipate his throws. It wasn't like he was throwing guys open. But what was happening is because you have Stephon Diggs who can get separation on a consistent basis as one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, especially when it comes to running routes. And because Josh Allen has such a cannon, the second he gets open, he can just peg him. He can just put on the spot because he can just fire it in there because of that arm strength that he has. So he's able to get away with it. So Stephon Diggs is, in a lot of ways, just was just the perfect pairing wide receiver 
I blame myself for not seeing it more last year. I wasn't, I wasn't big on uh, now. A lot of it was because I didn't believe Josh Allen could make this leap that he made from one season to another, but I had Stefan Diggs on my bust list from where he was being drafted last year. I wasn't huge on Josh Allen. I have to eat crow on that. And when you see what happened on the field and he kind of starts to make a little bit more sense of why this was such a great pairing for a guy like a Josh Allen, where now he doesn't have to throw him open. He doesn't have to anticipate. All he has to do is watch him get open and then peg him with the ball because that's how much he can just fire a fastball in there. Ultimately, not worry about Josh Allen. Like I said, top four quarterback will be very fantasy relevant this season. I will. I just going to say, I will say that we're also could see some possible regression is teams basically we're playing Josh Allen still run a lot. And we're really, we're basically playing a lot of soft zone, basically giving to they, you know, not too much man coverage. They weren't blitzing a lot because they were afraid of him taking off and using his legs. It'll be interesting to see how a team kind of adjusts this year, having a full season kind of adapt to the new offense of Buffalo and how they kind of were more pass oriented. And will that kind of change some of the defenses and some of the looks he sees? Because to your point, Stephon Diggs is an excellent route runner. It's also pretty easy when a guy has, you know, soft zones to kind of just curl into and get the ball fired to him. It makes the throws a lot easier, a lot easier. You don't have to anticipate as much. Well, here's the other thing I'm going to say to that, and this is a general observation for every quarterback and wide receiver out there you're going to be talking about from a fantasy football perspective. I see regression across the board when it comes to pretty much all of these guys because it was insane, record-setting when it came to the passing attack last year. Not having an offseason, not having a training camp truly affected the defenses more. And it was a surprise to me that affected the defenses more. Because when you're playing defense, if you guys never played football out there, I'll explain it a little bit to you. Basically, what happens is this. When you play defense, you have a play called, but your play is not really what you run. It's the adjustments off of that play call that you have to make at that pre-snap in that split two seconds. So a lot of the defensive game plan, a lot of what you're going to be in is made just before the snap of the ball. You need chemistry and you need a lot of practice to dissect it quickly to know exactly what you need to get into. It's why we saw, I believe at least anyway, a lot of vanilla defenses last year. A lot of defense trying to rush for plays off zone underneath because they didn't want to put that pressure on the guys because they didn't have the practice reps going into the season. We saw defenses get much better as the season wore on because they started getting the reps and they started being a little bit more complicated and a little more actual game plan dependent. You didn't see that for the first half of the year. And I think a big reason why is you didn't have training camp. You're going to have it this year. I think you're going to see defenses adjust. So across the board, I expect less passing, you know, gaudy numbers when it comes to the quarterbacks and the wide receivers, just in general, just some regression there too. So kind of just keep that in mind. It doesn't mean, but from a fan's perspective, that might mean that they still finish around the areas where they finished last year, but not with the same type of productivity. That's just an observation for going into this season to kind of think of. I think we might see a little bit swing back towards a running back. Where last year, the running backs were a huge disappointment. You're gonna, I think you're going to see a much better year for the running backs this season. And typically speaking, that's usually how it goes in the NFL. It's yin and yang. 2018 was insane when it came to passing. 2019, you saw the running backs get a little bit of more of a resurgence back, and then 2020 went back to the passing. It's kind of how it goes over the last few years between that. So just a general observation there. Chris, is there anything you want to say? No, I was just going to say, kind of brings us to the next kind of big question in Buffalo, is the running back position. Right. Is there something that you're going to kind of see in this, in this backfield? Is there something worth touching or drafting? Um, I think that because you're going to see maybe a more commitment to running game, and maybe teams not being so pass-oriented or teams kind of adjusting to some of the offenses. Maybe you're going to see Buffalo need to run the ball a bit more 
Will it be Zach Moss? Will it be Singletary? Um, will it be split again? I think that we kind of, you know, get to talk about a little bit where those guys kind of fall as well as a result of these changing and moving you know, adjustments in defense. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the Buffalo Bills, it's really the only thing to talk about necessarily to get in, to get into because, like I said, Josh Allen will be fine. Stephon Diggs, top three receiver. I actually have him number two. I believe you have him number one. It, it doesn't matter. He's an ace wide receiver. We know he's going to get the targets. Even if it's a little bit of regression last year, he'll still be phenomenal. So what we really need to talk about is Zach Moss, Devin Singletary. I, I think there's a few questions. One, are either one of them really fantasy relevant in this pass-heavy attack? Two, which one is it going to be, and what's the split we're expecting between these two guys to begin with? You saw there on the graphic, if you're watching this on social media, at Show, I have Zach Moss rated ahead of Devin Singletary. Ultimately, I have Zach Moss, though, as my RB, uh, RB34. No, I'm sorry. I have him as my R. Yeah, I do have my RB34. So I have him as an RB3. His ADP is an RB36. I think they want it to be Zach Moss. Towards the end of last year, it became a little bit clear that you know he was getting over some injuries. It kind of took to the last half of the year. Devin Singletary was still very much involved. This is never going to be just his backfield. I, my you know, projection on it is a 60-40 split across the board between a Zach Moss and a Devin Singletary. It might wind up being more like a 55-45 split. That really wouldn't surprise me if that wound up being the case. This is a two-man committee at the end of the day, but Zach Moss is a bigger body back. He was much more effective in the red zone. Five rushing touchdowns to Devin Singletary's one. He, for a bigger back coming from Utah, he does have the repertoire of having a, a good passing uh, game behind him. He can actually pass protect to some degree. He has good hands, and he's better at, actually at that phase of the game than a Devin Singletary is. So ultimately, he's the guy who can actually play all three downs, which is why I believe they want it to be Zach Moss to be the lead guy. Having said that, Devin Singletary still has more value than your typical handcuff. Why? Because Zach Moss, even throughout his collegiate career, gets injured. I have him down for a 5-1 to injury ratio. I have him missing at least three games baked into his projections. So Devin Singletary is somebody I'm still willing to take late as a guy who has a safe floor, who I know I'll probably be able to play in my flex at some point when Zach Moss ultimately goes down. And when that happens, you saw last year, he had a couple good weeks of fantasy. He gets all the work. And while this isn't going to be a great offense for any one particular running back in general anyway, because it's a high-scoring volume offense, you still have the running back in good situations to put up valuable fantasy points, even if it's not getting 20 touches in a game ever, whether they're by themselves or splitting work. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that the upside for both these running backs is pretty basically a flex play. You know, you're not really looking at an RB2 in any situation here. You're looking at a guy having options for flex. And I think no matter who kind of the starter is or who gets injured, you're going to see the other guy definitely benefit. But it doesn't really raise their ceiling a whole lot because we haven't really seen a commitment to the running game. You know, we talk, we see a lot of Josh Allen still continue to red, run in the red zone. So I think Zach Moss is definitely the guy that you want to target with the most upside. The injury thing is definitely concerning because he's had, you know, he's played three or four years now. He's been injured and had, had issues. Um, he kind of fits what their team's trying to do in a lot more ways. He fits the Buffalo culture in a lot of ways where he's going to be cold. They want a bigger back usually than a quick guy. Um, but I also think that it's also a guy that you don't want to reach on. I see a lot of people, zero, you know, zero, zero running back people kind of think Zach Moss is going to be the answer. And I don't necessarily think that you're going to win the league having Zach Moss on your team. Absolutely, absolutely not. You're all you're hoping for is a floor play out of him. There's there's not much of a ceiling because again, they're still going to be splitting quite a bit of the work. And 
to be fair to Devin Singletary, when these guys are both on the field, Singletary is still the more efficient runner. He's still the be- He's still the more explosive runner. And from all reports are that he's actually looking great in training camp as far as what shape he's in. And he's coming in on fire with something to prove. So we'll see how that... It's going to be interesting to watch that throughout training camp. Last thing we'll talk about with the Bills. Is there a second wide receiver? First of all, who is your second wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills? And are you targeting him at all in fantasy football purposes? Yeah, so for me, I think Manuel Sanders will start off the season as that second receiver because he got the contract and they're going to kind of have him play the John Brown role. But ultimately, I think Gabe Davis's talent went out. I think that he kind of showed up at the end of the year last year and kind of shows his explosive abilities. And I think that he's going to be a guy that you're going to kind of be able to look forward getting, you know, as the season progresses. To me, neither one of these guys are guys I'm drafting. Um, and I hope Cole Beasley just goes get, you know, basically goes away. I'm tired of hearing about him not getting a vaccine or getting a vaccine. Um, he was, you know, productive when he played last year. But overall, I think that with Emmanuel Sanders and Gabe Davis, they don't need a Cole Beasley. So I like to see kind of how this unfolds. I think Gabe Davis is going to be the guy to have, but you're going to see the beginning of the season, Emmanuel Sanders probably be productive because he'll probably play a lot more slot in their offense and be a little bit more utilized initially. Um, but I think Gabe Davis's talents, on, you know, is, is going to succumb over succumb his ability over the season, and he'll be the top guy. I have a little I breaking think- news here. Breaking news. Now, remember, we are live. So if you ever want to comment into the show, go ahead and do so. Uh, but breaking news, Shane Lemieux, the projected starting left guard for the Giants, just got carted off the practice field. So we'll see a bad offensive line seemingly getting worse. We'll find out more details as we go along on that. Yeah, you brought up the Cole Beasley thing. And I'll put my feelings aside as far as these players getting vaccinated. I'll only say this about it. I don't know why. I don't know if they're worried about from a PR standpoint or what, but I don't know why the NFL doesn't just come out and mandate that if you want to play this season, you need to go get vaccinated. You're a company, you're a corporation, you're allowed to do that. I don't know why they don't just go ahead and do that. But we'll put that aside for a split second as far as that goes. Uh, Cole Beasley was the wide receiver 26 last year, surprisingly enough. I'm glad to see this ADP is wide receiver 53. We don't know what's going to happen with Cole. He did show up for training camp. Reports are that he cleared the air with teammates, that everyone's okay, at least with him, even the ones who don't agree with him not wanting to get vaccinated. Uh, we'll see exactly what happens. They're, still, they're saying there still is a chance he may just do it because of the rules the NFL has in place for players who are vaccinated versus unvaccinated and what they're going to be allowed to do and what they're not going to be allowed to do and all that, all that goes. There were some rumors about him being cut. From what I understand right now with the way I guess he handled things and the way back, that's not necessarily on the table anymore. Colby is one of those guys. He's, there's no point in drafting him. If he winds up having a little bit of a hot streak, which we have seen him do in the past, he's going to be right there in the waiver wire for you. And I'm glad that the people out there, his ADP is wide receiver 53. So if people are drafting him at all, you're drafting him as a wide receiver five. I have him ranked at wide receiver 66. The reason why I have him ranked so low is because I do believe Gabriel Davis's talent wins out. However, I don't think he wins out to beat out Emmanuel Sanders. I think he wins out and Emmanuel Sanders becomes a slot receiver. That's what I think happens at some point during the season. So it's going to be those three, Stephon Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, and Gabriel Davis out there rather than a Cole Beasley. To kind of go to your point, they don't necessarily need a Cole Beasley. I think there is a decent chance that Beasley gets cut regardless of his views on the field because he's making a lot of money. And you paid Emmanuel Sanders $8 million this season. Sanders ain't going anywhere. He's definitely going to get his opportunity to shine. Gabriel Davis, I still think, needs a lot of work in his game. I think people are a little bit too excited about him. 
He had a few good weeks last year, but his still his top finish was still a wide receiver 16, and he only had three games in which he finished as a wide receiver too. He has some explosibility to his game, but again, you're talking about a guy who is not going to be heavily targeted because Stephon Diggs is going to be heavily targeted. Manuel Sanders, I expect to be the number two target. I'm with you. I expect them to play the John Brown role as far as being the second receiver to Stephon Diggs, the guy to be, you know, the kind of safety blanket, the veteran wide receiver that Josh Allen can kind of go to from that sense. Ultimately, it boils down to me to this. I'm not drafting a second Bills wide receiver at any point, but I do think there's a good chance one emerges as a nice pickup at some point during the 2021 season. Yeah, I think you make an excellent point. I think they're going to be great streaming options and great DFS options, but I don't think there's a guy that you want to target in the draft going into the season. No, 100%. I'll mention Dawson Knox. I like the player. I like the talent. You're on a high-scoring offense, which typically speaking, that means these lower tight ends have opportunities to score touchdowns, and you know, we all know that if you're a tight end who has an opportunity to score a touchdown, you can finish in the top 12 any given week. Still just a streamer. His ADP is tight end 39. That's insanely too low, uh, especially given the offense that he's in. I have him ranked at tight end 25, but just a quick mention there that he's somebody who could be a sleeper. I like talent. We'll see if he stays on the field. We'll see if he gets worked into a regular rotation as far as getting targeted goes. But this offense is not one that's going to be built around featuring a tight end in any capacity. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm a big Nollis Knox fan. I like his talent. I think he's got a lot of upside. But I also think that when it comes to the guy that you want to draft, you're not really sure where he falls, he falls in the totem pole of weapons. And we talk about the right backs being involved in the passing game as well. So when it comes down to it, Dallas Knox isn't going to be a consistent performer just because you can't really predict what week he's going to be utilized. I think he has a talent to be a good player, but I think with all the different weapons they have in place, he might be a guy that can, has a big week here or there, but not, it's not somebody you targeted at all for this draft. All right, so up next... Moving on from the Bills, we have a team that's been in the news a lot this week. There's a reason why I didn't mention this player to start off in our news segment, because I knew we were going to talk about him here anyway. Green Bay Packers. Boy, oh boy. So, Aaron Rodgers. Let's, let's put aside the fantasy aspect of this for a split second. Have you ever, especially in the NFL, it's happened sometimes in the NBA, but have you ever in the NFL seen a player make a mandate in his contract that you have to go out and trade for X player in order to get me back on the field. And they pulled it off too. That's how you know they were willing to do anything it took to get Aaron Rodgers on the field for this year to try to go after a Super Bowl because they're all, they only signed him for this year. He's, he's free to go now after next year with this offseason actually coming up because of the new structure of the contract. So you're letting him walk at the end of the season. You traded for Randall Cobb. You're doing everything in your power just to get Aaron Rodgers to come back for this season. I don't know if I could think of an NFL player where this has happened before. Yeah, I mean, it's very rare these guys have the power that Aaron Rodgers is able to exert and maybe demand that you're going to have upgrades or demand you bring in certain players. Um, but I do think it's kind of un- un- unprecedented in the sense that you do see a lot of quarterbacks have preferences and guys that they kind of prefer to play with. And a lot of times teams will kind of, you know, make that happen in a sense. But I do think it's kind of it's kind of interesting that a guy actually came out publicly and demanded that this is a guy that you acquire for me. It was absolutely hilarious. I didn't think it was going to happen because Randall Cobb actually owed quite a bit of money on his contract that he got with Houston. I was a little surprised Green Bay was able to pull this off, uh, but it happened. Now, we'll flip on from a fantasy side of things. This does not change anything for me as far as is there a second wide receiver not named Devontae Adams that I want on the Green Bay Packers? The answer to that is no. Randall Cobb himself 
was hasn't been fantasy relevant before he left Green Bay for a few years with Aaron Rodgers when he was a younger man. So I don't really think this is going to be any kind of relevancy when it comes to fantasy football purposes between an Al Lazard, a Randall Cobb, a Marquez Valdez, Scantling, wh- whoever they wants to be. We know Rodgers wanted Cobb. He's comfortable with Cobb. He's always been a friend. We know he was mad when uh, Cobb left the first time. But from a fantasy perspective, that doesn't change anything for me as far as I'm not going after a second Green Bay wide receiver in 12-man half-point PPR redraft leagues. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think the only – Randall Cobb had a decent resurgence in Dallas so I got the contract in Houston. But since, to your point, he hasn't been highly productive for a few years now. He definitely wasn't at the end of his Green Bay run. Um, and then the only guy I think it really affects overall is the draft pick of Mario Rogers, where he was a lot of people's like sleeper because he might play at the slot for teams. This team yeah, that won't happen. be a guy that might be able to look for you. I think that basically it makes him a wash this year. Not a guy you want to have or even look at or think about. Yeah, absolutely not. That, that won't happen. Of course, my depth chart, uh, if you're looking at the graphic right now, will update and reflect Randall Cobb being on the team. So overall, when it comes to Rodgers and Devontae Adams, and that's that's you know a big time stack that you're looking for in best ball leagues and redraft, doesn't matter. It's gonna be it's gonna be an effective stack. But here's what I want people to keep in mind. Again, talking about the regression across the board, there's regression coming for the Green Bay Packers, for Aaron Rodgers, for Devontae Adams. Rodgers had career had a career high in touchdowns last year with 48. The last time he, he 40 was his second highest ever at that point. Uh, he did have a season. He had two seasons where he had 40. The one he got hurt, so you can't really go off of that. The other year he had 40, he dropped down the 32 touchdowns the following year. Uh, this year I have him projected getting 33 touchdowns. Still very, very good. But again, keeping in mind here, when you're looking at Aaron Rodgers, you're looking at Devontae Adams, I expect him to have some regression, especially when it comes to the touchdown side of things. Yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers, I still think, is going to be you know, one of the best better quarterbacks. I wouldn't be surprised if he, he sniffs the 40, the 35 to 40 touchdown range. But like you're saying, I think you can't guarantee you're definitely not going to get a 48 touchdown passes again. And I think the one guy definitely you're not going to see have be as productive is Adams. Um, I do think he's going to have some regression touchdown-wise. But overall, is what because the return of Aaron Rodgers, we talked about Stephon Diggs, who my number one was, Devontae Adams returns to the top of my board to receiver for because I think that we know, you know, come hell or high water, Devontae Adams is going to get his targets. Aaron Rodgers has basically come out and made it like the last dance. Like I said, it's Scottie Pippen and he's Michael Jordan. They're kind of going out together. There's questions Devontae Adams in the contract year. So I think, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to probably try to help him make sure he gets his, gets his too. So I think – Devontae Adams definitely doesn't plummet or anything like that, but I do think overall, as you kind of put up with the passing you know, production just in general in the NFL, we're going to see some regression. Yeah, absolutely. Look, right now, Aaron Rodgers, ADP, QB8. I have him ranked at QB10. Still a top 10 guy, but just keep in mind, a guy who doesn't run a ton, there's a lot of running quarterbacks out there, and that's kind of why I have Rodgers winding up and rounding out my top 10 quarterbacks. I think he's somebody, because of his last year performance, finishing as a top three, you might see Rodgers get drafted in some of your home leagues a little bit too high. Just don't don't pull, again, going back to quarterbacks in general, draft them late, first and foremost, because there's so much value out there. Don't overdraft these guys. As far as Devontae Adams is concerned, it doesn't change for my rankings for him in any capacity because I was already ranking him as if Aaron Rodgers was going to play this season anyway. All it does is kind of just confirm that he is a top three wide receiver for me. I do have him at wide receiver three. I have him you know, behind Tyree Kill and Stephon Diggs. If you want to make an argument to me that Devontae Adams should be number one over those guys, I, 
any one of those three guys could be number one in anybody's rankings. I'm not going to argue with you at all in any capacity. Uh, the only reason I have him at three and not ahead of a Stefan Diggs or ahead of a Tyreek Hill is just because of the uh, the touch. The they, those guys are not the, as dependent on touchdowns as Devontae Adams is to keep up his week to week fantasy value. So that's really the only thing. So with regression coming for Devontae Adams, he wanted to take a little bit of a step back. But again, to get some perspective here, I literally have two point difference between Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams. One extra receiving touchdown can make Adams number one receiver in my book if I projected it that way. They're all very, very close. You can't go wrong with any of those three guys, essentially. So I don't want to get crazy here uh, with that. His ADP right now is wide receiver two. The other thing you have to take into consideration with Devontae Adams, every year he seems to have a, a, some kind of soft tissue injury that makes him miss a game or two, or he's nagged by it by being out there. So I'm taking that in consideration as well. I have him projected for 15 games this season, so that kind of gets baked into it as far as why I have him as wide receiver three as well. Yeah, and I also think one of the things to kind of consider, I was you know reading an article that's pretty interesting recently. I talked about one of the things that Aaron Rodgers is kind of will have some regression possibly in the passing game, in general has some passing game, was he had a lot of input last year in how they kind of changed and tweaked their offense. And not being there for the offseason for this year, they might be have a little bit more running it back, what they kind of did. And they talk about, you know, because you think you're going to have more game tape and they're going to have more familiarity with what they were doing and you didn't adjust, you might see some regression just because of that as well. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see, again, I expect defenses to adjust in general this season. I think you're going to find offenses are going to have a little bit of a harder time to be as prolific as it was a season ago. Last guy to talk about, Robert Tanyan. Last year finished the tight end three, had 11 receiving touchdowns on 59 targets. Just an insane touchdown ratio rate. Now Aaron Rodgers is back and confirms that Randall Cobb doesn't take away touchdowns. I do expect Robert Tanyan, as far as being the red zone guys, to be the second most targeted red zone guy of the you know pass catchers of the Green Bay Packers. I expect it to be Devontae Adams, Robert Tunyon. If you want to throw Aaron Jones' name into the mix as well, that's valid too. I still have Robert Tunyon ranked in my top 10 tight ends. I actually have him at 10, right? You know, 10 flat. His ADP right now is tight end 13. While yes, I definitely expect some regression in the touchdown department. I have him projected for eight touchdowns. I expect a few more targets to go his way. I think after last season. There's no doubt in my mind that Robert Tunyon definitely earned some trust with Aaron Rodgers. And I think that goes a long way when you're talking about Aaron Rodgers. We know he's big on can he trust the guys around him. He's always been big about that. I think he definitely earned that right. So I have him going from 59 targets to 90 and getting 66 receptions, 741 yards, kind of making up for some of the touchdown regression that I have projected out for him. Still have him as a top 10 guy. Still like him quite a bit in this offense. Just, you know, just don't draft him as a top three. But right now, his ADP at tight end 13, I'm actually a little bit higher than ADP right now. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. 
Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Yeah, I like, I like Robert Tony is one of my sleeper tight ends where people seem to kind of just write him off because of the regression and the touchdowns they expect. But to your point, I do think he's going to see a little bit of increase in volume. And we also see tight ends tend to get better and be productive in the league as they kind of adjust to things. Um, so he has, uh, he's got some chances to kind of better numbers overall. I think also it's going to be really interesting to see how things kind of unfold with the passing game in general. You have more weapons at receiver, but you also were on top of the backfield in Green Bay. You have a little bit of change in the backfield when it comes to not having Jamal Williams back there and having A.J. Dillon getting some playing time. We know A.J. Dillon is not a you know a target, a guy you use in the passing game pretty much at all. So while James I mean, Williams was getting a lot of different you know, opportunity to catch some targets underneath running routes, you might see Tanya get some of those targets now. Yeah, agreed. I, I'm sorry. I said last player we're going to talk about for Robert Tanya. I meant last pass catcher. Let's talk about the running backs. I am, especially now that Rodgers definitely back, I am super excited about Aaron Jones this season. I mean, this is a guy who's been finishing in the top five the past few years anyway. doesn't get drafted that way. But I've always had this fear when it comes to Aaron Jones where he's he's a little bit hit or miss at times. Has been in the past. A lot of that had to do with Jamal Williams taking an insane, in my opinion, insane amount of targets and passing work away that shouldn't have been happening all because he has, you know, he's a decent pass blocker out there, whatever. Aaron Jones is such a better playmaker, such a better athlete. Now he's gone. A.J. Dillon's the backup. A.J. Dillon's not going to be that effective in the passing game. He's not going to be utilized the same way a Jamal Williams is, especially. So now all of a sudden, I feel like there's a better floor for Aaron Jones week to week. I think he's going to be less hit or miss. I do have some concern that maybe they bring in A.J. Dillon more, they did, more than they did with Jamal Williams in the red zone. But not too concerned about that for a couple of reasons. One, Aaron Jones is a huge contract. They have to justify that. Two, he's always been great in the red zone. So how much are you really going to want to take Aaron Jones out of that phase of the game? I think there will be a limit to that too. Aaron Jones is my RB7. His ADP right now is RB9. And the only reason I don't have him in my top six or five is because he is another guy kind of like Devontae Adams. There's usually some kind of soft tissue injury. I have him for 15 games on an eight to one injury rate ratio. but the ceiling that Aaron Jones has, I expect career high numbers when it comes to his targets, receptions, receiving yards across the board this season. I love his floor. And of course we all know he can, he's the type of guy who can go for three touchdowns in a game and complete just win you the week anyway. Yeah. I mean, you might see a little bit of touches taken away when it comes to carries, but I think to your point, you've got a good floor now that regardless, he's going to get probably 15 to 17 touches per game because he's going to be a lot more involved in that passing game. So kind of like an Alvin Kamara, you might not see him getting, you know, doing as much of the kind of dirty work. You might see him being more involved in the passing game, but he's still going to have that production when you combine the both yards, the rushing, and the yards receiving. I think he's got an outstanding floor. I think with Aaron Rodgers basically coming playing this year guarantees that he's going to be a first-round talent. Where I, you know, had a little bit of debate whether I would where I would take him with Jordan Love as a quarterback. I think we know Green Bay's offense is still be prolific. You know, he's still Aaron Jones is still getting the targets, so he definitely has that guy that you're still looking at the end of that first round. Yeah. Again, just to illustrate the point, Aaron Jones, 55-35 split when it came to Jamal Williams last year in the reception game. I expect it to be more like 70-20, if not more, when it comes between him and A.J. Dillon, or really him and the rest of the Green Bay running backs in general. Okay, so what we're going to do, we're going to hit the break. 
We're going to come back on the other side. We still have two more teams to talk about, the Titans and the Rams. We have the mailbag segment for you guys, too. So a lot more up in the MD's Fantasy Football Show. So stay tuned on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. And we'll be back right after this. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with Chris Dowhauer. First half of the show, we were talking about some of the latest news, talk about the Packers, talk about the Bills. Now we got the Titans and the Rams and the mailbag segment for you coming up in this second half. Now, remember, if you want to comment throughout the show, love it. We'll probably throw it on. We'll try to get to it at the end of the show if we can. Or if you ever just want to get on the mailbag segment and ask us a question at any point in time of the week, all you got to do is hit us up on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. Pick a few of our favorites on, put it on the show for you. But no matter what, we will get back to you. We will answer you because we're here to help you guys win a championship this season. Want to give a shout out to our sponsor for the second half of today's show, which is Manscaped. Summer's here, but are you unveiling your beach bod? Well, if not, you're in luck because our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that, right? The Lawnmower 4.0. Compliment your dad bod or your six pack with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. So join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. All right, Chris, let's talk about the Tennessee Titans. We talked a little bit about the breaking news with Julio Jones coming out earlier today. Again, as far as his NFL playability or what that's going to possibly potentially mean, I'm not too worried about that aspect of it. I don't think anything's going to come of it of this year. So I'm not going to be worried about that. We're not going to harp on that part. But here's what we do have to talk about. Arthur Smith leaves. What's that effect? Julio Jones is there. A.J. Brown is there. Can Ryan Tannehill, can this offense sustain two top elite wide receivers? We saw Corey Davis have a nice year. It wasn't a Julio Jones level type of year. So what are you expecting overall, Tennessee Titans, given all those variables? I think it's going to be really it's one more interesting team, especially offensively this year, going into the year. Todd Downey taking over is going to be huge to me. And we also, also did an outstanding job for the Titans. He established an identity of what they were and kind of built around that. Um, adding Julio Jones is also going to be a huge addition. But Todd Downing, to me, is you got to kind of see how he's going to be able to take over. Is he going to be able to be as effective as Arthur Smith was? Todd Downing last time was an offensive coordinator for the Raiders. He took over Bill Musgrave. Um, he got fired within a year and a half because one of the things that happened to the Raiders was that their offense plummeted. They were 23rd in points scored. They were 25th in yardage. Um, and you kind of seen that their offense wasn't as productive as it had been the year before. The quarterback play was still solid. You know, Derek Carson went to Pro Bowl that year. But overall, the offense in general wasn't as effective as it had been the year before. He has some experience kind of using two receivers. We saw Crabtree and Amari Cooper kind of be the two receivers that he, he primarily was able to use. They were more pass-oriented than the Tennessee team is. And they had a Marshawn Lynch, which was kind of a comparable in some ways to Derrick Henry as a guy, a beast, more a beastly big running back, more of a physical guy. Um, but I think the one player that you're going to probably have the most – has the most impact or change for him is going to be Derrick Henry. 
will Derrick Henry be the guy that they build their offense around, or will it be a little bit more pass happy? Um, Ryan Tannehill kind of took, you know, exploded in the second half of the season, especially down the stretch where he became one of the top five quarterbacks to have when you're in fantasy. Um, I think now with the addition of Julio Jones, with maybe a more pass-oriented coach, do you see some of that those numbers kind of change where it's not so much a running game, it's more of a passing game. But there's also overall touchdowns. The points score of Arthur Smith, he was outstanding in the red zone. He's very efficient. Tennessee's one of the efficient teams in the red zone overall. Ty Dallin has not had that efficiency in his in his history as a coach. So I'm really curious to see how that impacts overall, how productive this offense is going to be. Again, I'm going to hit the chair. This team, from a fan's perspective, it's not about Tannehill, Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown. It's all about the switch from Arthur Smith to Todd Downing. Kind of coming in a similar way. Arthur Smith was a tight end coach. Todd Downing last year was a tight end's tight end coach. The narrative so far this season has been that they want to run a similar offense that Arthur Smith built and left behind. But we've seen this in years past where teams try to bring in somebody else to run the same system as the last guy and it not work out as well because they're not that guy when it comes to when it comes to play calling. Here's what I'll say about the touchdown aspect. I think it's going to be really hard for this team not to be good in the red zone when you have Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. And I think Anthony Ferkser is a, a, a good red zone target in and of his own right. And Ryan Tannehill, because of his mobility, is effective in the red zone. I think it'll be really hard, no matter what Todd Downing does, for this team not to be effective in the red zone. But the fluidity in the play calling, the efficiency, the, the overall prolificness of it, I think that all kind of comes into question to some degree. I'm just going to give this from what my logical perspective would be. My logical perspective would be you don't change your identity if you're the Tennessee Titans. It should be built around Derrick Henry because Ryan Tannehill is the best version of himself when he can run play action, when he can run RPO. And if you get Ryan Tannehill as the best version of himself, that'll be the best thing for an A.J. Brown for a Julio Jones. So from a logic standpoint because that's all we can really go off of, because we have to see exactly what Todd Downey decides to do, this offense should still be built around Derrick Henry. I still have Derrick Henry going for plus 300 carries. In fact, I actually, for a 17-game season, I have him going 344 carries this season. I kind of surprised myself with my overall ranking for him, especially in half-point PPR leagues. I have an RB3. I did not think I was going to have Derrick Henry in my top five for the simple fact that we know he's going to be next to a zero when it comes to the passing game. Just not going to have those targets. And I don't know if I feel comfortable drafting Derrick Henry in the top five. You know, I have him ranked there because he is one of those guys that he can get 20 carries for 70 yards and that could with no touchdowns. And because you're not getting that receiving work, all of a sudden your top guy kind of busted out on you. He has, he runs that risk. It happened very rarely last year. But Derrick Henry had an insane season last year. Here's the other thing I'll say about Derrick Henry, because a lot of, there's been a lot of this debate too. We've had history of these running backs who had the kind of workload that he's had and suddenly fall off a cliff. I don't think that's going to happen in Derrick Henry's case. He's built differently than so many of those running backs out there. A little bit differently. And as a result, maybe you don't need so many touches for him to be effective. And the way some of his carries, so maybe they kind of reduce his carries a little bit more than they have previous. But overall, because I think the yards per carry is going to still going to be there, and because to your point, he's built to be basically a tank. He's not. I don't think he's going to have this fall off. The guy's still relatively young. 
He's not a guy. Yeah, and he's still not a guy who takes a lot of direct hits. While he does truck run, run over people, he does a good job of kind of shielding his body and being able to take a lot of direct hits, and he doesn't have a lot of injury concern for you as a result of that. He is a guy that gets better as the season progresses as well. Um, so you kind of have to keep that in mind. Like you pointed out, the 20 to carries for 70 yards, you kind of see those in you know, the first four to six weeks of Derek Henry, you're kind of like waiting for that to um, you know, unload and get good. He has a lot of time, big-time games. So I think you might not see the games where he has many 200-yard rushing games, but you're going to probably see a consistent more floor from week in, week out because of the additions on, on and the offense. Right. It just It's just insane that I had this guy statted out in a 17-game season for a regression, and even in a regression year, I still have him going over 1,700 yards rushing and 16 rushing touchdowns. This is what you're talking about with a Derrick Henry. And to your point, he gets better as the season goes on, which is why I kind of like him. And also, the injury has not been a factor for Derrick Henry. So he becomes one of the more safer guys that you could take in the top five. Do I feel a little bit uneasy about the floor from week to week basis? Potentially, yeah, but he's always so good. And the one thing you know is that even if you're a little bit worried about the floor, talking about a guy just he's going to get plus 20 carries. Not, not 20 carry average, plus 20 carries. So you're just not worried about the touches at the end of the day. So I'm, I'm not going to worry about Derrick Henry. What we got to break down here is, do we think A.J. Brown or Julio Jones is going to be number one target for Ryan Tannehill? I'm leaning it towards being A.J. Brown because they've already had their chemistry in place over the past couple of seasons. Julio Jones is the new guy. From what I understand, to this point anyway, and we'll get more clear pictures as we go through training camp anyway, Julio Jones is meant to play the ex-wide receiver. So that way, A.J. Brown can continue to play flanker and also be moved into the slot, be moved around a little bit more while Julio Jones kind of stays more stationary on the outside. That really benefits an A.J. Brown because that's where he thrives off of doing in the first place. So if his role is not going to change, I do think it will be A.J. Brown. I'm very, very high on him, even with the addition of Julio Jones, maybe even more so with the addition of Julio Jones, because he's not a guy who needs a ton of targets to be a superstar to begin with. I have him for 128 targets 85 receptions, 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns. He had a 40-35 split when it came to the target share amongst the wide receivers with Corey Davis last season. I think it's going to probably be about the same with Julio Jones. I think the only question we're asking ourselves is, do they have more volume in the passing attack? I think there's a chance that that does wind up being the case. Here's here's something I should have said with Todd Downey before. The other thing to do, if they're smart logically, this should be a high up-tempo offense. It It really should be. Because then this offense would kill people if they can get up-tempo a little bit more. And that would also overcome any concerns that we have for the play calling of Todd Downey. Uh, Just to wrap up the wide receivers, A.J. Brown, I have him ranked as a top 10 wide receiver. Julio Jones, I have him in my top 20. So I'm good with these guys being very, very prolific, both. And as far as Julio goes, I know people are worried about the injuries. I get it. He's a, I have him at the 5-1 to one injury ratio rate. I have him as a top 20 receiver and still missing three games this season. Last year was his worst year as far as missing games goes. I know that even with Julio, you have to get that factor of even when he doesn't miss games, he has a lot of those games where he's banged up but muscling it out, and then he winds up being a decoy, and you have to worry about it from that sense. But if he's on the field and he's healthy, last year even, his pace last year, and this proves to you that he has not lost a step. Over 1,300 yards, 91 receptions, 121 targets, five receiving touchdowns. That sounds like a Julio Jones stat line to me. That was his pace last year. So I don't buy into the idea that Julio Jones is not Julio Jones anymore either. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. I think the difference you're going to see in this offense is you're going to use the two receivers more often than using the tight ends, like similar to what Arthur Smith kind of had Bingo. done traditionally. And I think as a result, you're going to see both these guys be able to eat, be very productive, and be guys you want to have on your fantasy team. Julio Bebe had the upside where he was, you know, debatable top three guy. He might not be that guy anymore, but he's definitely a guy that you can basically is guaranteed receiver two for you, if not borderline receiver one in a lot of aspects. And you're going to see him and AJ Brown basically be both productive because he had to throw the running game because you have Ryan Tannehill good in the play action. They should be able to be really productive. I just think overall, you might see the receivers be more utilized than the tight ends have been traditionally. Yeah, and just to cl- I, AJ Brown, because I didn't give the exact number, is my wide receiver six uh, going into this season. So very, very high on AJ Brown because with him too, his knees are 100% healthy according to all reports. If he's good to go, and I don't have to worry about him missing games or being hindered and his explosiveness being hindered in any kind of way. We saw last year, this guy was banged up all season long, still performed like a stud. You give me a completely healthy AJ Brown, could be very, very scary this season. So that's why I have him at wide receiver six. Anthony Ferkser, you brought up the tight ends. He's not going to be involved as much as the Juno Smith was, but there's still reason to believe, again, because this team, I expect to put up a lot of points and be effective in the red zone. I think he could be a streamer. He could be a sleeper in some senses. I do think this is a guy who might fall into eight touchdowns, potentially kind of the way Janu Smith did last season. Yeah, I think you're still going to see Ferkster kind of be the guy. The thing he'll probably have the most you know, benefit from is because they don't have such a crowded tight end room where you had him last year, you had Janu Smith, and you even had Pruitt be utilized. So maybe you see it kind of be mainstreamed a little bit more where it's more Ferkster out there without Janu. I think he'll still be productive. I just don't think overall the tight end position will be as productive in his offense because I think we saw Juju Smith have about eight touchdowns last year, and that kind of goes to Julio Jones now versus going to that tight end position. But I yeah. do think Berkster has some upside, and he talked about his offense being prolific. You're going to have to basically double-team these receivers, and it reminds me a lot of an Atlanta team where you had Julio and Calvin Ridley, and it kind of helped uh, Hooper kind of had some effective weeks here, and then we get, that's why I got basically his contract through Cleveland because he was productive for Atlanta. I think you're going to see Ferkster have a kind of a similar um, production-wise where he's going to have some big weeks and other weeks where you don't even see him involved at all in the offense. No, uh, agreed. Again, he's going to be a streamer type. You're not drafting him, but just to give an idea here, like you said, it's not as crowded of a tight end room. He, The tight ends in general for Tennessee last year, 133 targets, 94 receptions, 967 yards, and 13 receiving touchdowns. That's just what the tight end unit did for the Tennessee Titans. You take away Janu Smith, you get Anthony Ferguson, you get the overwhelming share of that tight end group. While I'm with you, you're going to see that tight end group get a regression because of the addition of Julio Jones this season. You're still looking at Ferguson safely, I believe, getting about 70 targets, almost 60 receptions, 600 yards, six touchdowns. His ADP is tight end 20. I actually have him ranked at tight end 19, so I'm pretty close there with the ADP. But this is going to be a guy I think we're going to be streaming throughout the year and keeping an eye on as far as those tight ends go. Chris, let's move into the Rams. The Rams, talk about a team that has a lot of things going on. We talked about Cam Akers a little bit last week. We will, of course, reiterate some of that today. I want to kick off the Rams segment, though, by talking about Matthew Stafford and the overwhelming love that Matthew Stafford is getting. Rightfully so. His ADP is QB12. I have him actually ranked at QB12, so I'm right there with the ADP. I think it's very interesting that he finally gets to go to the best offensive mind that he's ever had a chance to play for. I think he still is a very good quarterback. I am a little bit concerned about his back. 
That's something that could flare up at any given time. That's something that could be an issue throughout a season. But he has good weapons around him, a great offensive system, a great offensive mind. What is your outlook for Matthew Stafford this season? Yeah, so I love Matthew Stafford as well, and I definitely think he's debatable being as right around that top 10, um, you know, 10 to 12 range. But I do think that people are kind of maybe expecting a bigger jump in his production than maybe there will be in a lot of senses. You know, he didn't have nothing to throw to in Detroit for most of his career. He had decent receivers most of the time he's been there. And he has a, very similar, he has a very similar situation. Um, when it comes to offensive line not being very good, which is what kind of led to some of his back issues, which led to some of his injuries, because offensive line will continue to be an issue, I think, with the Rams. I think overall, the Rams definitely the team that benefits the most overall for them, and their receivers benefit the most. But I don't know if Stafford's numbers definitely jump up or become all up upper echelon. He's always been kind of that borderline top 10 guy. I think he continues to be that guy. Yeah, there's a little bit of perception versus reality here when it comes to what Matthew Stafford did last year. I don't. I think people tend to forget that he finished as the QB 15 last season with a terrible Matt Patricia. Uh, didn't have Kenny Galladay for the majority of the year. So when you add all that up and you finish as a QB 15, it means you like the upside quite a bit that could come from him going to the Rams with a Sean McVay and having a Robert Woods, a Cooper Cup, and all those guys. Uh, but he still had put up decent numbers, even in those situations. So I'm with you. I don't think we're seeing a crazy jump here number-wise. I think from an NFL perspective, it's going to be a crazy jump as far as what you're watching on game day. But from a fantasy perspective, I think he definitely gets a little bit of an increase. I do think there is a ceiling for more. I have him at QB 12, but there, there's definitely a range where he can finish inside the top 10 if everything clicks and goes well for that team. There is that scenario as well. You have Cam Akers getting hurt. I do believe that will lead the Rams to throw the ball a little bit more than they previously would have, quite frankly. So that also gives them a little uptick when it comes to volume. So I like Matthew Stafford a lot. Like I said, his ADP's at QB 12. I have him ranked there. You can get him at a fair price. That is a type of guy that, you know, come 8th, ninth, 10th round, 11th round, top quarterbacks are off the board. You're looking at him in that range. I like him right there as a top 12 quarterback quite a bit. So I'm good with drafting him with where he's being drafted at the moment. Let's talk about Daryl Henderson because we mentioned Cam Akers. Here's what I want to kick it off with. Henderson was the more efficient runner. Everybody loves Cam Akers, loves, his, loved, loves the carries, love what they saw. I loved what I saw last year too. And as far as, you know, who do I tr- who would I trust more as a workhorse back? Well, it'd be Cam Akers because of the way he's built. And Darren Henderson's only he's only 5'8", 208. No, he doesn't look like he is a, a a workhorse back out there. I compared him to Devonta Freeman when he was coming out of college. So I think he can handle a little bit more because he's built a little more stocky. I think he can handle a little bit more of the workload than some people seem to want to give him credit for. But this goes back to my point last week of I still believe the Rams will wind up bringing in a bruiser type of back to kind of complement with him because Xavier Jones and Jake Funk are two guys that are still more of the passing-oriented type of running backs, kind of more like Darren Henderson as it is. So that's why I still don't believe it's going to be Xavier Jones or Jake Funk who are you know, lessening the workload for Darren Henderson. I do think they're going to bring in somebody to kind of take on that role. I'm a little bit concerned about that when it comes to red zone carries, but as it sets up right now with the current roster, I don't see any reason why Darren Henderson on a per-game basis isn't getting 60 to 65% of the workload at least across the board. And if that winds up being the case, I safely have him projected 
as RB20, safely projected as an RB2. His ADP right now is RB31. I think that's still reflective of him rising up because people are starting to draft him a little bit more. So I don't think it's really an accurate ADP. But I have no reason to believe why Darren Henderson would not be a solid RB2. Maybe he doesn't have the same upside of the guys around him, you know, the J.K. Dobbins of the world, maybe the Chris Carson, something of that nature. But it's a very solid pick there. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Yeah, I think this guy is has outstanding floor. I think he's definitely an RB2. He does have some upside to be a little bit more. You do have questions about he can carry the full workload. But I think to your point, I think will the, the passing game change a lot or be a little more pass-oriented Rams team? I think that's basically what you're going to see. Henderson is very effective out of the backfield. He's very good at catching the ball. You know, Matt Stafford likes to check the ball down to his running backs. So you might see the catches, the touches be a little bit different. He's not going to get 20, 25 carries like a Cam Akers could. He's not going to, he's not kind of built to do that. But he's probably going to get maybe 12, 12 to 13 rushes and maybe three to five catches. And that's where you're going to kind of see the production come from, where he's kind of have a very safe floor. He's going to be involved one way or another. You might not have the same kind of red zone production. But Akers only scored one touchdown, I think, the last year. So you're not really seeing that kind of being taken away from him. Um, and to your point of Henderson kind of being undervalued just going into the season, people tend to forget that he was PFF's top running back for most of the season last year as a guy who for a large block for him and what he was able to do. He's been very productive. He's been very efficient and he does have a lot of explosiveness. So I think this guy is definitely a safe RB two without with a little bit of upside for more. You're just going to see the touches kind of be a little bit different than I think from acres where it's not going to be such a bruising style. You're going to see more of a, more of a guy who's kind of attacks the field and maybe has that many carries still has the, the touches that you're looking for. Yeah, again, Daryl Henderson, 4.5 yards a carry to Cam Akers is 4.3. Henderson on a similar workload had a lot more touchdowns rushing-wise than Cam Akers did too. So I just think people are, yes, he's. I don't think he has the upside, the, the, the quite the talents of a runner, of a Cam Akers, but this is still a very good running back here. Make no mistake about it, in a great offense with a hefty workload, whether it's Maybe it's not the 70, 80% of these you know, other elite workhorses out there. 60 to 65% on this offense as, as a workload. He's going to be looking at a hell of a floor come this season in 2021. Just, just want to throw this out real quick. One of the things I think is interesting is we've seen guys like Priest Holmes and Jamal Charles be very effective for Kansas City, built very similar to him and have a similar system they were kind of being utilized in. So I'm not saying he's actually going to be those guys, but don't be surprised if he shocks a lot of people that has great numbers because of the way he runs. Yeah, 100% agree. I like Dylan Henderson a lot. Will he be able to stay healthy throughout an entire 17-game season, or do I have confidence in that? I don't know that I do. I think there's a good chance. You're talking about a guy who probably misses two to three games this year. That wouldn't surprise me at all uh, with the workload. But again, 
that's not much different than a lot of the running backs going in that range anyway as a risk. So I st- it doesn't really draw me down on him anymore. Again, I have an RB20, like him a lot this year. Let's talk about the wide receivers. And this is where I think I'm going to catch some people a little bit off guard, especially if you're new to the show. Robert Woods, I'm big. I'm big on Robert Woods this season with Matthew Stafford. You talked about a little bit how this improves things for the wide receivers, for the pass catchers. I definitely believe this improves things for Robert Woods from Jared Goff for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, yes, Stafford's definitely going to be able to throw the ball down the field with more effectiveness than Jared Goff will. So maybe Robert Woods will actually get targeted more down the field and not just you know the slant, intermediate, over-the-middle type of guy all the time. But my big factor is this. Cooper Cup was the number one red zone target in Jared Goff's eyes. I think that changes with Matthew Stafford. Now, I'm not projecting some insane touchdown increase as a result of that, but I do have him projected for eight touchdowns, which actually, in fact, would be a career high for Robert Woods. But when you get his eight touchdowns with his consistent 130 targets, with his consistent 85-plus receptions, his consistent 1,100-plus yards, and you add in eight touchdowns, I give you my projected wide receiver nine of the year. His ADP right now is wide receiver 19. So I am much higher on him than the current ADP is at the moment. Yeah, I I have a little bit of different take. I think Cooper Cup's going to be the biggest beneficiary. But having said that, I do think that when you look at the statistics Robert Woods can put up, he's going to be very similar to a Keenan Allen, I think, and kind of what your production you're going to be able to get out of this guy. It's going to be a consistent production. He's a good route runner. He's always going to be kind of get open. You might not get the high level, you know, double-digit touchdowns, but you're always going to have a guy who's going to be guaranteed basically to have a great outstanding floor and will always be productive week in, week out, which can easily help him finish in the top 10. Yeah, I mean, I still love Cooper Cup, too. Don't, don't, don't get me twisted here. Last year... He finished as wide receiver 27, and he only had three receiving touchdowns, which was a career low. He had a career low in yards per catch at 10.4. So, I mean, with Cooper Cup, the fact that he finished as wide receiver 27 and had career lows in a lot of his statistics just speaks to the type of receiver that he really is. His ADP right now is wide receiver 20. I have him ranked at wide receiver 19, so just one spot ahead. I have him right about 1,000 yards at 80 catches, six touchdowns. These are going to be two guys are just they're going to be very consistent from week to week and they have an extra ceiling built in to the range of outcomes because of the upgrade at the quarterback position. Yeah, Cooper Cup to me is the one I'm really excited about going into this year. We've seen him be very productive historically and had a little bit of touchdowns on his resume. I think he's going to return to that range. I think Max Stafford's going to love throwing to him especially in the red zone. He's a guy gets separation. He can attack the ball. You know, Stafford wants to kind of fire it in there when he gets close to the red zone. This guy can go up and get it. So I really think he's going to have a lot more more value than he had last year, absolutely. Um, I think he's going to kind of be one of those guys that's going to catch people off guard a lot of ways because people kind of forgot how good Cooper Cup is. I think you see the yards per attempt is going to go up a lot for him too. The yards per catch is going to go up as a result of that. 10.4 I think is ridiculously low, but we kind of see Jared Goff basically use him almost as a, a glorified tight end in a sense. He ran a lot of drags, a lot of you know, curl routes, a lot underneath stuff. Matthew Stafford can actually push him down the ball down the field to this guy. And this guy does great, great routes. He has a good body. He's pretty good with the yards after the catch. So I'm really, really excited about Cooper Cup. And he's one of those guys that while I might target early running backs more so than some people want, I'm going to kind of make up because I like to have a Cooper Cup on my team as that second receiver. And I think he'll be outstanding value. 
Yeah, even when a Robert Woods, and the re- that's why I'm so bullish on Robert Woods, because you can kind of draft him. Like I said, his ADP is wide receiver 19. Cooper Cup's ADP is wide receiver 20. They're going back-to-back in drafts right now, and they just have great upside. I'm great with either one of these guys, and I do, like, with Robert Woods' case, I believe he has top 10 potential uh, that I'm projecting him for in his outcome. But these are two guys that you can get right now in that fifth to seventh round, fifth to sixth round territory, and you're getting very high quality wide receivers at that point in your draft. So very much great values there. So I'm going to just go, I'm just going to ask you this question, Chris, who's the third receiver on the Rams for you? I think it's going to be Deshaun for the five games. He's healthy. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, I think that sure. when you look at this offense and how it's kind of built, Robert Woods and Cooper cup aren't necessarily field stretchers. They're not guys who can kind of, you know, make safeties kind of respect them and back off. But Deshaun Jackson does have speed still. He still is that guy. As a result, I think he'll be out there more often than not than the man Jefferson will because it's going to allow them to kind of attack more horizontal and vertically versus having guys kind of all bunched together. Um, we talked about, you know, Henderson being involved in the passing game. You have Robert Woods. You have a Cooper Cup. All guys who are wonderful in the slot, great route, route, route runners. But you need somebody to kind of make safeties back up, give some open space for to kind of make those throws underneath. And I think that's where you're going to see Deshaun basically be that guy. He'll have some big play aspects. I think he still can be explosive. He's just not a guy to me that you're necessarily drafting. But he's going to have a he'll be a lot of guys you look at for DFS here or there or for streaming purposes here or there that you might like. Van Jefferson to me is the guy who basically is going to probably suffer the most. People kind of thought he was going to be that next you know receiver steps up to the Rams. I think this kind of guarantees Stafford being the addition thirteen that he basically becomes more irrelevant like he was last year. There's people out there that still believe it's going to be Van Jefferson going into Week One, which I just. Completely disagree. The reason they bring in Deshaun Jackson and you know draft to do Atwell, who I'm not a fan of, but I get what they are trying to do here. They want that third receiver to be a field stretcher. Sean McVay wants to get back to being able to attack the three levels of the field deep, intermediate, and short. And what he used to do when Jared Goff was having a really good season back in 2018 when they went to the Super Bowl. That's what they want to get back to do. That's why they signed a Deshaun Jackson. Now, yes, of course. Jackson, you can't expect him to play more than five games in a season necessarily. You don't know how healthy he can possibly be. But here's what I do know. He's just as explosive as ever. He's running past people left and right. Everyone's reporting how explosive Deshaun Jackson still is. So it's not like he lost a step. And when he's out there in the field, I'm okay with drafting. I love Deshaun Jackson in best ball, first and foremost, because you're getting him in like rounds 18. And I'm telling you right now, there's probably going to be at least two or three weeks where he's very much going to be in the top 10 of wide receivers for that given week because he's going to have some of these explosion weeks. I'm okay with actually drafting Deshaun Jackson late, even in regular redraft 12-man leagues, if you just want to pick up a guy that you want to play in your flex for the first few weeks of the season and have that home run capability in your lineup. No, yeah, you're not. I, Good. I go say I think you, you can't argue that. I mean, we saw Brandon Cooks be very productive in that role for them, and I think that he has a similar upside where he could be a Brandon Cooks if he stays healthy. It's just the healthy part that you kind of worry about. Yeah, you're not going to draft a Sean Jackson with the idea that you have this X factor throughout the entire year. You know, you're going to have him for a certain period of time, and then you're going to have to come up with you know another plan from there. But again, you don't have necessarily right now. You don't necessarily have to draft him at all. Uh, no, okay. I, th- I thought we had some breaking news here, but we we do not. It's a false. It's a false alarm block. Call it Edwards Hilaire, just kind of a 
a thing here about talking about his injury from last year and how he's 100% healthy now uh, from that. So we're, we're okay there. Uh, I just don't think it's going to be Van Jefferson. Van Jefferson's there to back up a Robert Woods, to back up a Cooper Cup. That's the type of wide receiver that he is, which is why I don't think he gets on the field right away. Now, when Deshaun gets hurt, because I don't think they're going to move to 2-2, then I could see Van Jefferson being out there, but then they would lose an element of their offense. So it'll just kind of be interesting to see, but Van Jefferson's not really going to be a factor for me this season. Last guy I want to talk about for the Rams, Tyler Higby. I'm big on Tyler Higby. Big. He's going to be my number one sleeper tight end when we get to that episode later on in the year. Spoiler alert, I know, I don't care. He is projected as my tight end seven. His ADP right now is tight end 14. I don't. I think people are just undercounting what it means that Gerald Everett is gone. And again, the improvement at quarterback with Matthew Stafford. Sean McVay, if you look at the Rams as a tight end unit, and the, just not, not the individual players, just as a unit, he gets the tight ends involved. The problem has been you've been splitting it between Everett and Higby almost 50-50. In fact, it was a 50-50 split last season. And in a 50-50 split, Higby had five touchdowns to Everett's one. So we know he's going to be effective in the red zone. We know Stafford likes to get his tight ends, especially in the red zone, their, their looks. But Higby, on top of it, actually has a better athletic profile that people want to give him credit for. And because he's a good pass blocker, He's never not going to be on the field. So with this offense, high scoring as it is, with Stafford's history, with McVay's history, with the fact that Higby's only going to be on the field all the time and he doesn't have to split the work with Gerald Everett anymore or anybody else because they didn't bring anybody else of consequence, I have Higby getting over 100 targets this season, over 800 yards, six touchdowns, tight end seven that you can draft late because he's an ADP at tight end 14 right now. Love Tyler Higby this season. Love him. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Yeah, I think Tyler Hugby has a lot of upside. I don't know if I think he's going to get many targets, as you seem to think, in a sense. But we talked about Robert Tanyan earlier in the show, and I think he has an easy way to kind of play a similar role for this Rams offense. Robert Tanyan lived off the touchdowns. You can see Tyler Higby be able to live off touchdowns this year because Matthew Stafford does love his tight ends in the red zone, and Higby does have a good athleticism. and is going to have a good profile to be utilized in that role. So you might not see the volume necessarily. We didn't see a lot of volume for timing last year, but I think there's definitely a clear way for him to finish in the top five, definitely top ten as a tight end because of the offense around him. He's the guy that I think the his biggest beneficiary of a guy who, with Sean Jackson being a starter, would be him because he would be the guy who would be able to be able to utilize more effective running on these routes. If they have a Van Jefferson starting, I think that kind of hinders his production, particularly when it comes to the yardage, because I think he's going to be primarily just a red zone target because he's going to have other guys basically running the routes that he needs to be involved in. 
But if Jackson's out there, that opens up that middle. It opens up the opportunity for him to have more volume. And I do think this guy has more upside as a result of that. By the way, last year he finished as a tight end 18, a mid-level tight end two, while getting 50% of the work with Everett in a very disappointing offensive season for the Rams in general. Just want to, again, illustrate this guy's floor-to-ceiling ratio high yeah, we on seen, him. We've seen Jesse James and Christian Fourier have seven, eight touchdowns with, with, with playing Matthew Stafford. So I exactly. think he definitely ha- easily can get those numbers. Exactly. Hey, guys, guess what time it is? The mail's here. All right, again, if you ever want to get on the mailbag segment, all you got to do is hit us up at show or comment during the show. We might be able to get to you as we go through this as well. We always appreciate those comments there, too. First up, we got Chirac. Dynasty, should I trade Matthew Stafford, Brandon Ayuk, and two first-rounders for Lamar Jackson? So, Chirac, I love, absolutely love Lamar Jackson, but you're giving up way too much for a quarterback, in my opinion. There's a lot of different quarterbacks that are going to be productive over the next, you know, I'm guessing this is a dynasty league. And I think this is. is something you're looking for, but you see quarterbacks constantly coming into the league with upside guys who are constantly being productive, particularly with more of the rushing quarterbacks becoming more the Vogue thing to have. So I think Lamar Jackson, while I love him, I think he's an awesome dynasty, own, you know, got to own a dynasty. I'm not giving up two number ones and Brian and Ayuk and Matthew Stafford will probably be good for the next two to three years as well. So yeah, I think it's way too much in my opinion. Yeah, you said it all in the first sentence. That's too much for a quarterback. We talk all, all the time how there's there's value to be had at the quarterback position, especially in Dynasty. There's always a new one coming in, and always a guy who's new in excitement. There's no reason to mortgage the house for a quarterback. I don't care who they are, as much as I love Lamar Jackson, especially not on top of it. You know, Brandon, not just the two first-rounders, but you have a good quarterback in Matthew Stafford, who arguably, if his back holds up, should have another good two to three years in him now with the Rams. And Brandon Ayuk, an up-and-coming wide receiver. This is too much for a quarterback. Next question, Frey. Is it going to be Jamar Chase or Higgins who will finish? Who, which one will finish with a better 2021 season? So I think this is a really tough question because I think Jamar Chase is going to have better overall statistics. I think Higgins can easily be the more productive touchdown guy. So I think the numbers are going to be very similar, very close to one another. I think Chase edges them out barely in a sense because they'll have more big plays and more big games. So his yardage might be a little bit higher. He might have a little bit more you know, PPR leagues, may have a little more catches. But Higgins is going to be very utilized in that red zone, and I think the numbers are going to be very similar. Yeah, you want to talk about similar. I have Chase ranked at wide receiver 29, Higgins ranked at wide receiver 31. Very close. The only reason I give Chase a little bit of an edge is just because of the targets. I have a little bit more going to Jamar Chase. I didn't necessarily buy into that at first, but the more I thought about it, the more you kind of read about what's going on in the OTAs leading up in the training camp and everything like that. Just the chemistry that's already there between a Joe Burrow and a Jamar Chase, I think will lend to Chase getting a few extra targets. But I still believe in the idea that all three of these receivers are going to be virtually equally involved from a week-to-week basis as far as target share goes between between Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. I think Chase will be a little bit more of the big play guy, like you're saying. I do think T. Higgins gets a couple more touchdowns, like you're saying as well. I also love what I'm hearing about T. Higgins, about how in shape he is and how explosive he's looking also in camp. And I still believe in T. Higgins as a true legitimate number one receiver in this NFL league with his talent that he has as well. I think this is going to be a very good wide receiver core. I do have it being slightly chased, but very, very close. And they're both in the same tier. So to me, my advice would be draft whichever one's lower 
in your in your, in your drafts coming up this season. Next question, Tracy. Besides Najee Harris, which rookie running back has the most upside this season, Chris? So I think this is going to be a little bit debatable, but I go with Michael Carter because I think he has the more most clear-cut opportunity to be the man and utilize in both the passing game and the running game for the Jets. I love what they did on their offensive line. I love their system that they have for him. And I, but his fellow backfield, his fellow fellow guy in the backfield, Jawan Williams, is another guy who I definitely had to consider because I think that he's got opportunity to you know be the guy as the season progresses. But I think Melvin Gordon kind of hinders him a little bit more than a Tevin Coleman handles Michael hinders Michael Carter overall statistically. So I go with Michael Carter, but I don't think it's you know I think either one of these guys can have a good upside for you. Yeah, I think it's between those two as well. Um, well, actually, no, you know, what? I take that back. I think it's, I mean, I think all three of these rookie running backs, when you're talking about them outside Najee Harris, Javante Williams, Travis Etienne, Michael Carter, they all have tremendous upside. Travis Etienne, I think, I, I definitely think there's a pathway where he could overtake James Robinson in the carry department at some point this season. We know he's going to be getting probably all of, at least most of, if not all of, the passing work as far as that running back unit is concerned. But I'm kind of with you. Michael Carter, I think, is going to definitely be the week one starter in a good offensive system. I like his talent quite a bit. If Javante Williams can be the week one starter, even though he will be in a more of a timeshare with Melvin Gordon than I believe Michael Carter will be with Tevin Coleman, there's a lot to be had there with that offense, with the Denver Bronco team in general, with the way Pat Shermer gets his running backs involved in the offense as well. I think I'm going to give a slight edge to Javante Williams because I think there's more of a chance that Javante Williams is a league winner by the end of the season. But I like Michael Carter a lot, too. I think it's very close between these guys. I have Javante Williams ranked a little bit ahead. My little bit difference from Michael Carter is I think he'll be more involved in the passing game, where I still remains to be seen for me where Javante Williams kind of plays out in the Denver passing game. I agree that's a factor, but I think Williams is going to be more involved in the passing game than people realize because he actually is a decent pass protector, which will allow him to get in that aspect of the game uh, quicker than most rookie running backs would. Next question, Frank, or last question of the day. Uh, in the first round, who would you pick between Travis Kelsey, Devontae Adams, or Austin Eckler? So now that Aaron Rodgers is definitely back for the last dance, I'm going Devontae Williams is my clear number one guy I would take there. I think Austin Eckler is not a guy who is productive enough, especially in the red zone, for you to reach in the first round. And there's a lot of other running backs I like more than him. I think you can definitely argue about Travis Kelsey. He's been one of the more efficient guys and more effective guys for the Kansas City Chiefs for the last couple of years. But Kelsey goes through stretches where he kind of frustrates owners, where he might have a couple of weeks here or there where he does not so great, but overall has great numbers. Where Devontae Williams, to me, week in, week out, you know what you're getting. You're going to get a guy possibly probably in top five receiver finish every week. Just to be clear here, he's talking about Devontae Adams, not Devontae Williams. All good there. Uh, yeah, this one's a little hard for me because I don't necessarily have Adams, my number one wide receiver. It's hard for me to imagine wanting to take a tight end in the first round when it comes to Travis Kelsey. But I think I would lean a little bit toward, if you're in these leagues where you're still playing with tight ends, and most are, I think I would lean a little bit more towards Kelsey just because of the value gap that he gives you between him and other people who are going to have tight ends in their in their league. And ultimately, projection-wise, I have them actually getting very similar statistics to one another. So I'll give me the guy who has a little bit more value because he gives that more of an advantage at the position. Very close between those two. Definitely taking either one of those guys over an Austin Eckler, though, in the first round, if that's one of your choices, just to be clear on that. Uh, we had the poll questions. I asked MD Nation, now that Michael Thomas is going to be out or we know the situation, who do you believe is going to be the starting quarterback? 
it was almost 50-50. 51% for Jameis Winston, 49% for Taysom Hill. And yeah, I can't disagree with that result, that output we talked about at the beginning of the show. We can see now a clear-cut logical reason as to why maybe Sean Payton goes with Taysom Hill, although I still believe it will be, or I still believe it should be Jameis Winston overall. And I just want to talk about the next poll question. What is your stance on Deshaun Watson playing for the Houston Texans? This one is where I was a bit shocked by. I said, does he play for the Texans in 2021? Does he sit out in 2021? Or does he get traded this year? 51% were in favor of him getting traded. 31, he sits out. 17% 2021. I think the majority of the people who voted on this poll are nuts. I do. I, I usually don't go after him like that. I usually don't go after MD Nation like that. It doesn't make any, first of all, it doesn't make any sense that he gets traded this offseason, not with the asking price that they have, not with everything up in limbo. Again, I go back to it. GMs are not going to risk and mortgage their future for a guy they have no idea, legality wise, what's going to happen in the next couple of years. It's not going to happen. He's not going to get traded before week one. There's doesn't line up that way. And then for the next answer, next highest answer to be up sitting out 2021. No way. No way does that happen. You know why? Because he has to get back on the field to have any chance to repair his image or to have people kind of forget about what's going on off the field. He has to get on the field to distract people from that. It would be detrimental to him to sit out to be a head case and have the legality issues that he has. That'd be the worst thing for Deshaun Watson. So the 17% to say he plays for Texans, I'm with you. Yeah, this one's really tough for me. I think I expected Deshaun Watson to be put on the um, exempt list by the NFL because I thought this was going to be something with so many different cases, such a, a, a big following right now what's going on, especially people reacting to the Me Too movement. I think that he, I was going to see this guy basically put on exempt list. But if that's really not going to happen, I have no idea how this is going to unfold because the Texans seem to be pretty intent that they don't really plan on him being their quarterback this year. And they even recently talked about the kick off the show. He's playing practice squad quarterback, which is really odd for him. Um, and then, but other teams are too far along in their offseason to actually acquire a guy like this. You, it's really hard. You, you learn a whole brand new playbook. He's got to have learned basically adapt to these teams. So as the you know weeks go by, if he's not traded immediately, I can't see him being moved at all because why why would teams give up all those value that you're talking about for a guy you're not sure how long you have them, and on top of it, might even be productive for you this year. So I really think it's going to be really interesting to see how this unfolds. I don't know why I'd vote MD Nation. I feel like I just think this guy. I, I, I'm shocked how the situation is kind of unfolding. And it's a guy that I think I'm going to be you know, watching as the season gets closer and closer. But I think basically if he's not traded within the next week or so, he's playing for the Texans this year. That's going to do it for the show, guys. Hope you all enjoyed it. We're going to be back tomorrow from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, to cap off, finally, the Team Profile Series. Before we start getting into our rankings and mock drafts and all the nitty-gritty of drafting season, it's Christmas season here for fantasy football. But remember, we're back tomorrow, two a week. Everybody take care, and we'll see you then. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. 
And we're Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.